Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. You're listening to The Hash Headlines on the Coindesk Podcast Network. Get caught up on this week's top stories from the Hash Crew. And just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. Monday's top story. Oh boy, happy Manic Monday, everybody. I hope you guys had a fantastic weekend. So we have to talk about FTX because apparently they grew revenue 1,000% during the crypto craze, according to leak financials from CNBC. And I kind of feel like a lot of people were able to thousand times their revenue. However, some of us, including myself, were not able to keep <laughs> all of that profit. But let's go ahead and cover some <laughs> stats. <laughs> it I, it hey, back, I'm just huh? being honest. Moonbags down bad, NFTs down bad. We are going to make it wag me. So internal documents seen by CNBC reveal that FTX revenue grew more than 1,000% from $89 million to $1.02 billion in 2021. Operating income was $272 million, up from $14 million in 2022. Total net income of $388 million, up from just $17 million in 2020. And around two-thirds of revenue came from futures trading, while up to 16% came from spot trading. Make sure you guys are utilizing SAFE practices while trading, especially futures. Um, the investor deck also shows that FTX brought in 270 million revenue during quarter one of 2022 and was on track to do roughly 1.1 billion in 2022. Documents show they had 2.5 billion cash at the end of 2021 and 27% margins, but it's still kind of unclear how they held up during quarter two. Zach, go ahead. Crazy to think about how young a company FTX is. I think we forget it. But this is a company that was started in 2019. I think FTX US has been around for less than two years. So first of all, you're starting from a pretty small number when you shoot up to up a thousand percent. So they have that going for them. That's definitely to be stated. I mean, FTX is a remarkable story, right? They've grown into prominence. They've they rode the bull cycle exceedingly well, and I was seeing some of those numbers that were shared slash leaked. I saw some interesting sort of behind the scenes uh, speculation from one CoinDesk reporter about the CNBC reporter who, you know, produced this story, happened to be in the Bahamas interviewing Sam Bankman-Fried the day prior to this being published. So maybe, just maybe, they're trying to leak this positive headline in CNBC to get a little goodwill out in the market there. But yeah, always interesting to see these headlines. 
and always interesting to think about how the sausage gets made. But FTX, yep, remains a remarkable story. Remains a remarkable tale of getting their brand out there from like, you know, from nothing to everywhere in seemingly six months flat. So yeah, big time bull market winner here. Can they do it in this year, in this climate? That number, I think, is the one that most people should be interested about. And now they have a benchmark against which to be compared. So we'll see what happens. Wendy, back to you. Uh, Before I toss it over to Jen, they've got really, really, really good PR. The way it was released, the way the story was produced, very great PR. And this is why marketing is so important in any industry, because all it is, is just basic communication. I love a good internal leak. We're not saying that's what happened. But Zach, when I read the story too, I was like, who leaked this? Who could want this out there? Hmm. And thank you for that little Hmm. tidbit. I thought it was interesting that FTX US accounted for less than 5% of revenue. I think it's an important piece of the story. You know, we talk about regulations and sanctions so much in the space now, and it seems like they were really able to grow by all of those acquisitions. Another thing that was interesting to me is the fact that they haven't had to let go of any of their workforce, right? When we saw all of these crypto companies letting people go, Sam Bankman-Fried came out and said, you know, he actually went against investor advice to hire during the bull run and really was focused on embedding new employees into the company culture. I think that we don't talk about that enough in this space, that people are really what drives success in companies. And so often we talk about tech And, you know, this promise of this wonderful world that we're working towards and none of us know when we're getting there. But I think when you have people who have a mutual value exchange with a company, we see success stories like this. Will, what do you think? Yeah, there's a lot of great nuggets in this report. And I love how you guys latched onto them leaking this document. It's probably what happened. Thousand percent revenue is a great headline, but also look into the story itself. And you'll see that they've actually found new markets that the biggest competitors, Coinbase and Binance, have not tapped into as largely as they have in the past. FTX has gone out in a very saturated market, or what people thought was a saturated market, and they created a new dominant exchange that's up there. FTX, Coinbase, and Binance are probably the three exchanges that most people know about in crypto or most people have an account with or in crypto. And most laymen who are not really involved in the industry probably know about those three different teams just based on marketing or based on interacting with crypto even a little bit. So props to them for figuring out those markets. The last thing is interesting to me was the cash on hand. Going into a bear market, it's really important. So the $2.5 billion cash on hand, and that's only after $1 billion revenue last year. I'm curious to know how they did that. Like, Where does that cash come from? Did they buy some crypto assets, sell at the right time? We know that Alameda Research is an integral part of FTX. They're separate entities, but in the past, they have been very linked. And Sam bankman fried has been the CEO of both those at one point. So I'm curious to know more about like the corporate structure going to a bear market. We might have to get some more leaked financials to find out about that, however. Tuesday's top story. What do you got? All right. So there's a new op-ed in the Wall Street Journal. It's titled, The SEC Treats Crypto Like the Rest of the Capital Markets. And it's written by SEC Chair Gary Gensler. He compares crypto to car manufacturers. He says, in September 1966, President Lyndon B. Johnson signed the National Traffic and Motor Vehicle Safety Act. Nearly six decades later, seatbelts and other basic safety features remain standard. That's true, despite many innovations in automotive technology. Similarly, he goes on and says, the laws that were made to protect investors shouldn't change just because a different technology is used. 
So the article is mostly focused on crypto lending platforms. There's not much talk about defining what's a security and what's not a security. Wendy, I know you have lots of thoughts on this, so I'd love to hear your opinions first. So if we're going to go by that logic, wouldn't the interest that's given back to us by leaving our money in our savings account at these centralized entities, also known as banks, shouldn't that be classified as a security as well? I don't know. One of the things I'm having really big issues with is we're not just talking about brand new technology. We're talking about brand new technology that has all these different subgroups. It's not just like a car. You literally put a car together and it goes. I know that there's different parts, different things that are required for that. But at the same time, we're talking about a technology that's got all these different subgroups that do different things. Some of them are currencies. Some of them are layer two solutions. Some of those are the actual building. Some is the code that puts things together. Some are smart contracts. Some is money, et cetera. So if we just focus on putting everything under one basket, what we're going to end up doing is kind of stifling the entire industry, stifling innovation, and at the same time, really stifling the economy in the United States of America. Because we're going to see more people that have the opportunity to make a lot, a lot of money, move overseas and develop in a place where it's safe for them to do so. And then the United States doesn't get any of those tax dollars. So at the end of the day, it's really hurting the entire country. Fair enough. Fair enough. I like to see Gary Gensler punching back a little bit. It's kind of funny, actually. If you just look at it from a narrative perspective, a lot of people on crypto Twitter and in general, have just been very unhappy with him ever since he came into office. They've not been very thrilled with his Bitcoin moves, whether it be the ETFs. They haven't been very happy with his moves against exchanges, notably Coinbase this last summer. They've not been happy with his stance on tokens and the lack of guidance for these projects. But doesn't care. He's fighting back, right? He's posted a lot of videos and now we have this Wall Street Journal op-ed. So just from like a, a larger comm strategy perspective, that's very interesting as well. And to be honest, this op-ed just sort of follows up on what the SEC has been saying for quite a while. Uh, they think that these lending platforms, these um, sort of neo banks for crypto really are securities and they've followed through on that. And that's where they're going after a few different firms. Uh, BlockFi, I think it was last summer, they started making an inquiry into them. And now Coinbase this summer for securities, a little bit different than lending itself. But obviously the SEC has its own opinion on these things. I think I do speak for the industry a little bit though, or at least can reflect on what they say. And hey, we want more guidance and more clarity. We don't just want more op-eds and punching back. Zach, up to you. Yeah, definitely stoked a bit of conversation online. We saw Mark Cuban, the noted Shark Tank investor and Dallas Mavericks owner, sort of, you know, strike back at this statement, you know, saying, hey, you should make these more clear. Can we get some clear guidance here? If you guys know so much, where's the guidance? And it was funny to see him sort of rail against this op-ed on Twitter, as did others. Uh, but it is, uh, I think, to Will's point, it's interesting to see Gensler strike back, right? He's been sort of w working his magic a little bit behind the scenes and has yet to make very loud pronouncements. We've seen some interesting, you know, like SEC, like meme commercials. We've seen other sort of enforcement action, obviously. But for Gensler to come out and sort of clearly articulate his rationale for why crypto doesn't deserve special treatment is certainly notable, right? There are different things to these technologies that could be used to make sure that consumer protections were enforced. Uh, but clearly the view here is that we should have same framework for different type of things, as opposed to creating a new framework for a new set of technologies. Clearly Gensler's view is, no, we need to have these, these things comport with existing rules that date back to the 30s and even beyond. I saw Wendy, I saw Will, I'm going to toss it to Wendy, and then maybe we'll get in there too. I Really agree with Mark Cuban here. If Gary actually really cared, where's the action? Why haven't we seen the actual protection occur? We haven't. We've seen nothing happen. The only thing that we have seen 
because we've seen the SEC go after crypto companies or however you want to classify them years after they have launched. How is this helping the industry? Instead of Gary posting articles for Forbes or Wall Street Journal or wherever and doing positive PR for himself, when is the actual work being done? Where is our taxpayer dollars going? Where is the money going that's funding the SEC? Great question. I'm just looking at his Twitter account really quickly as a side. And every time he posts, he gets massively ratioed. This guy is not doing super well on Twitter. Maybe he should just log out for a little bit. Wednesday's top story. All right. There is drama on crypto YouTube. So BitBoy Crypto, whose real name is Ben Armstrong, is suing Atozi, whose real name is Erling Mangshul Jr., for defamation, saying he sustained damages that exceed $75,000. Here's Atozi explaining what happened. All right. Some of you guys may know that I'm currently being sued by the largest crypto channel known as BitBoy Crypto for $75,000 or more. A lot of you guys are probably very confused like I was, so I'll take you guys through the whole timeline. At some point in 2020, I stumbled across a video that BitBoy Crypto made about a token called PAMP token, where he advertised this token as something that could only go up in price. I left that video thinking, wow, this is really what the newcomers to crypto see considering he's one of the largest crypto channels. A couple weeks later, it came out that that project PAMP apparently rug pulled, leaving the investors with nothing. The token went basically to zero. All right. So that's a Tozy side of the story. We're going to take a look at this tweet now from BitBoy Crypto. He says, you can't literally make up lies and accusations about people. There are consequences for this because you tell two truths and one lie that doesn't excuse the lie. Hate me all you want, but at the end of the day, people will be held accountable for lies and slander. Period. And so just for our audience, defamation is the action of communicating false statements about someone damaging their good reputation. Will, what do you make of this? There's been a lot of back and forth on Twitter this morning. (laughs) Wow. Tossing me the hard topic this morning. First thing, that's tough. Tough thing, Jen. Uh, No, I I think it's interesting. This is the Atlanta crypto YouTube, right? A place that a lot of people don't venture into. Luckily, we have Wendy to navigate us through this story as well. Uh, since you're a prolific YouTuber. But I think for uh, most of us who live on crypto Twitter, crypto YouTube is actually sort of a scary place where there is like a lot of pump and dump token videos where there's a lot of curious and misleading information that goes around. And so this is sort of just part of the game, in my opinion, from all the videos I've seen. Not commenting on BitBoy, not commenting on Atozi at all. I'll sort of tread that line a little carefully because who wants to get sued? But I do think it is worth mentioning that like crypto YouTube is very different from the rest of crypto Twitter. And crypto Twitter itself is also notoriously known for misleading people and pump and dumps, right? That's what we've seen the last two years through the bull cycle is a lot of pump and dumps, a lot of tokens going to zero, a lot of misleading information, and a lot of retail getting burnt. Jen, back to you. Yeah. So my understanding of how this like defamation case will work is that if it's in fact true and can be proven that BitBoy Crypto, and I'm putting this in quotations, scams his fans because that's what was used in the title of the YouTube video, then it's not defamation. It will be interesting to see how far the litigators get into, you know, defining what a scam is and what someone believes to be true is. Uh, On Twitter this morning, a lot of people are coming to, to support for either side. Kobe, you know, the famous Kobe on Twitter has pledged $100,000 to a crowdfunding campaign to help Atozi defend himself. Zach, what did you make of all of this back and forth this morning? 
It's just like, this is the junk food of crypto Twitter, right? This is like senseless drama that people are attracted to. And it is what it is. It continues the tradition of highly litigious people in the crypto space who have the resources to deploy lawyers against people that they're mad at. And that's what's happening here. Whatever pans out will pan out. And we're going to see it again, time and time again, as people's feelings get hurt during a bear market. This is when the lawyers get out. But we'll see. It's uh, I got to bring up one other story. Go for it. Do you guys remember when we had that pump bit boy battle like three, four months ago where they just started yelling at each other? Yeah. Uh, Everyone should go back. That's like a a nugget from the last (laughs) bull market that everyone should like keep fondly in their heart and memories because it's just fantastic. Before we change gears, I will leave you with this. Up your information diet, people. Come on, let's eat some vegetables out here. Enough of this senseless junk food. You can do better out there on the World Wide Web. All right, I'm tossing it to Wendy. She has the next story today. What's up? Well, unfortunately, Zach, we do have to talk about a little bit more drama. But this one is actually kind of good drama. So do you guys remember the RazzleCon, Miss Heather Morgan? How could... How, I mean, of course. <laughs> No way. I just remember no way when this story that. broke. And for those of you who don't know who this woman is, um, her crimes, apparently alleged crimes, were in connection with 2016 Bitfinex hack, where approximately 72 million was drained via a security branch. Again, it is still alleged. They're still in court. But I just remember seeing this on crypto Twitter. I ran to TikTok because I'm very active over there. And I just saw some of her videos and... I I was at the mall with my daughter and I just couldn't stop laughing because it was just such, it was such a conundrum. Like it was absolutely crazy. But anyways, she went ahead and she came out and she said, allege, well, she declares that she's no longer involved in crypto or NFTs and saying any crypto or NFT project bearing my name or likeness is a scam that I do not endorse. So if you guys see any projects with her likeness there, she does not endorse them. And if you do decide to invest in these or whatever connection you may have, please know she's not involved and to please do your due diligence and to be really careful because we're in a bear market. Don't dump money into crazy things. Try to secure your capital. Let me actually throw this over to Jen. The question I have for you is, what did you think when this story broke? I thought it was crazy. I was like, wow, the next Netflix crypto drama in the making. It had all all the elements of an amazing story that you will just remember forever and tell your children. For anyone who forgets what happened, there was a really great Vanity Fair piece, I think, that came out last week or two weeks ago that chronicles the events that happened with Rosal Khan and her husband. So when I read this statement, I thought, you know, what projects are in her name? So I went over to OpenSea, I typed Rosal Khan into the search bar, and two projects came up. One had total volume under one ETH and one was zero. And so I wonder why she made the statement. It feels like something a lawyer maybe forced her to say. The case is still ongoing. And I think that she needs to distance herself from all things crypto. And that is my take. Zach, what do you think? Let's just remember the beauty of that day when this happened. It was like the crime of the century. The heist to top all heists. Huge amount of Bitcoin involved. And it is revealed that two spazzes on the internet were behind it. And everyone had the best day ever on crypto Twitter. I just well, want to say that. Not them. Except for, except, for, except for them. Sorry. At their expense. No, they were both tough. They were not still bad. Day. You don't steal. Stealing is bad. No. So that, they're behind that, bars. Yes. It's always worth remembering great, great days in crypto Twitter history. And that was certainly one of them. So I just want to say that, man, there was so much good content on the internet that day. Sorry to Heather. 
and the boyfriend for having to face this. Also, sorry that they did this potential alleged crime, but sorry that they face this, <laughs> but it was a great day in crypto content. So I'm going to toss it to Will for any additional thoughts on that front. I think you sort of nailed it there, right? There's like a $4.5 billion heist, probably the largest in history in terms of just Bitcoin stolen. And Bitfinex was obviously at the time like a huge exchange that got destroyed from this. They came back because of some interesting tokenomics that they deployed. Huge day for them to get that back. And then just like on Cherry on top, right, Zach? Just all the tweets and TikToks that we saw came out of that. It was just fantastic. But I think you really nailed it. I don't have anything else to add there. Just perfect. Tough kiss. Rap music videos. Forbes contributor. Living on we Wall Street. We should grab some. This is that was my favorite I'm, part. The Forbes yeah. contributor part was my favorite part, yeah. just to, to, to be clear. <laughs> All right. I like that the just pancake goes one. to show, though, but that just goes to show TikTok. that humans are humans. They're going to human. People make mistakes. And just be careful where you guys get your information from. Always fact check things. Don't trust one single entity. Don't trust me. Don't trust my amazing co-hosts on the hash. Hear what we say, but continue to do your due diligence and continue to utilize critical thinking. And just don't go to one source. Amen. You can All trust right. Me. Well, let's take don't trust me. No, don't. don't <laughs> yeah, me don't, either. Don't trust Jen. Don't Will's trust the only Jen. trustworthy one here. Will, Will we, we put all of our faith in Will. I'm Thank the oracle of truth. Amazing. Thursday's top story. All right. So there's a fun new NFT novelty, Bored Ape M&M. So in a licensing deal between Mars and Universal Music Group, Board Ape NFT images are now being printed on limited edition M&M candies. So you'll remember that Universal Music Group 1022 PM label licensed Board Ape NFTs from a notable collector to create Kingship, a metaverse band made up of Board Apes and Mutant Apes. So people are buying these candies this morning. I bought a box before the show just because, you know, I like to waste money. Uh, Zach, what do, you, what do you think of this? You bought a box? Was this online I or like at the local yeah. like bodega? Where was this? No. What happened? Uh, on M&Ms.com. You can wow. buy a box on, for 60 US dollars. You can buy M&Ms on the internet? Yeah. That's crazy. You can. Oh my goodness. <laughs> well, who'd have thunk it? Bored apes are on some candy. I mean, I guess this is like, I don't know, the mainstreaming of this thing. Is this cool? Are people annoyed by this? I don't know. There's probably like however many thousands of people who are like actual board ape holders, right? What does everyone else think? Are people annoyed at this? I don't know. It seems weird that NFTs are on M&Ms now, but sure, it's just intellectual property that can be licensed and distributed in whatever novel way we can imagine. So yeah, Jen, what are your thoughts? <laughs> well, you know, I think if we think long term, this makes sense. Like we can think of any of our favorite musicians or bands or brands partnering with M&Ms to make limited edition candies. So I don't know, like Mickey Mouse. If we put Mickey Mouse on an M&M, we wouldn't be questioning whether this is something that people should go out and buy. We'd be like, oh, okay, cool. M&Ms partnered with Disney and their Mickey Mouse M&Ms. So I think we're like proving out these these use cases at a very, very like low level, like almost like an MVP. And this is something we can expect in the future. Probably a lot of people have no idea what these are. They're seeing them. They're like, oh, there's some cool apes on M&Ms. They have no idea um, what kingship is. They, they don't know about the board apes. But for the community that is formed around them, I think it's kind of cool. Will, what do you think? Yeah, I like the Mickey Mouse example. And that's the way I've been thinking about it more lately is like NFTs kind of came from the whole advertisement space backwards way, right? So Steamboat Willie got 
Mickey Mouse really big. And that's how everyone knows about Mickey Mouse because they started using him in cartoons, started using him at Disney World, Disneyland. It took so long to build that personality and that character that everybody knew. The flip side, we now have NFT characters that immediately hit the market, took off for whatever reason. They had no utility, no value. They weren't involved in any marketing. They weren't involved in any cartoons, any sort of mainstream media adoption. Happened slowly, though, on the backside, right? So now we have these M&Ms. We have other stuff. There's been like bands that have done stuff with these apes. So it's just a flipped model, right? And so I think these people, these NFT holders, they have a lot more money coming. That's for sure. That's what I see coming forward. So I'm not a huge fan of these ones. I don't think they're that cool looking. I like the crypto punks more. Jen, to you. Uh, so the boxes of M&Ms are already selling on the secondary market for like double the price, but you can still get them on M&Ms.com. I have a question for you guys. What should I do with my box? Should I eat them or keep flip them? It. Or flip what it. do I, or flip it immediately? Insta flip. flip. Insta okay. flip the box of M&Ms. I think you have to flip it. <laughs> That's the true ethos and spirit of most NFT projects. So as such, mm -hmm. you need to flip the M&M box. Jen, can we get an okay. update on that? I will keep you guys updated. You've been listening to The Hash Headlines on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Coindesk has a new event. It's called Ideas, the Investing in Digital Assets and Enterprises Summit. It facilitates capital flow and market growth by connecting the digital economy with traditional finance. Join us for a 360 investment experience where you can source, invest, and secure the next big deal in digital assets, all in one place. Use code HASH20 for 20% off a general pass. Register today at coinest.com forward slash ideas.